And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. And today we'll be talking to Kimberly Strassel, the author of the new book, The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. I'm Whit Brisky. I'm an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, nonprofit administration to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to MalkBaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments about faith in the law. Today our guest is Kimberly Strassel, a member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, writer of the weekly column Potomac Watch, and author of The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. She also frequently appears as a panel member on the Journal Editorial Report on Fox News Channel. What's your new book about, Kimberly? Hi, Witt. Thank you for having me. Um, This is a book about a new phenomenon that we are seeing in our political environment. Um, This is not a random phenomenon. It's a strategy that's being employed by the left. It's been going on now for close to a decade, It kicks off uh, about the time that the Supreme Court decided Citizens United. That was the case that allowed a lot more people back into the political arena, restored their free speech rights. Um, But the left didn't like that. They had come to rely on using these campaign finance laws to keep their political opponents quiet, Uh, people like corporations, uh, also nonprofits, And when the court ruled that they couldn't get engaged, the left said, okay, well, we can't use the law anymore, so we will do the next best thing. We will threaten and harass and intimidate them into being quiet. We will send a message that if they continue to engage in free speech and exercise their constitutional rights, that they will pay a price. And we've seen this in many different forms and tactics out there since then, Uh, the IRS targeting abuse. Uh, prosecutors who go after conservative groups, uh, activists who target free market organizations and individuals for expressing their views. It's become very coordinated, and it's growing, and it's highly concerning. Well, uh, how did the IRS get involved in shutting down conservative groups wanting to participate in elections? This came almost immediately after Citizens United, and it is the best case study in the book of, of how this strategy came to be. You know, to this day, if you listen to the White House uh, or elected Democrats, they will claim that the IRS targeting abuse was the result of just a couple of line agents in Cincinnati at the IRS who didn't understand the law. That is completely phony. Uh, We now have all the documents and all the emails, and they are in the book, and they tell the real story of what happened here. And what happened was that you had elected Democrats and the president himself essentially out there every day calling on the IRS to do something about these groups that had again been allowed to go into the political realm. And you had a partisan IRS bureaucracy led by Lois Lerner, 
who knew all about this debate, knew exactly what elected Democrats were asking for and who acted. And they very purposely, and you can see on a day-to-day basis how it happened when you follow the email trail, they segregated off these hundreds of groups representing tens of thousands of Americans, sent them threatening interrogatory letters demanding information they had no right to, uh, scared them out of participation and kept this up not just through the 2010 midterms, but through the 2012 presidential elections, with the purpose intent of keeping them quiet during a presidential and a midterm election. Well, you know, I uh, had been listening to this as it was going on in the news and just keeping up with the reports, but seeing it all put in one place in your book was really frightening because you really did have uh, dates and, and places and emails and and uh, there really is no doubt that uh, that this really did happen. No, and I think what's also worrisome when you read these things, too, is that, you know, the IRS internally, very high up people at the Treasury Department um, and within the IRS knew that this was going on, uh, were alerted to it, senior officials in particular, all the way back at the beginning of 2012, um, and they did nothing about it. In fact, they purposely kept it quiet for a whole rest of the year, and there can really be no other explanation for why they would do that other than that they were attempting to keep this ruse going as long as they could, certainly through the election, and that gets to why they were doing it. It's because they hoped to silence these groups uh, and, and have an effect on a presidential election. Um, we actually know that there were there were senior members of the IRS that that sat around and tried to come up with ways to avoid having to answer questions about this to Congress during 2012. So the fact that that all happened and that nobody also has been held to account for these actions is very disturbing. Yeah, just the fact that they ha- haven't been held to account. No one has been fired. But uh, uh, this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky of the law firm of Malk and Baker. We're speaking with Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Kimberly, uh, I remember when the Wall Street Journal editorial board uh, was in favor of full disclosure of, of political contributions as long as there were no limits on those contributions. That's not the case anymore, is it? Well, the editorial page, I think, st- is still debating its, its views on this. We've pulled it back some because of what you see in this book. And this is a big part of the intimidation game is making the argument for uh, free market people, conservative people, that we need to think much more carefully about disclosure in a regime. For a long time, that did sound like a good way of dealing with these, with these horrible campaign finance laws. Just get it all out there. But what we have seen over the past eight or ten years is that the left is now using disclosure as a weapon against the right. Uh, it's going out and calling for more disclosure specifically so that it can get the names of groups and individuals and then and go out and target and harass them and attempt them to stop engaging in politics and start stop engaging in free speech. So what we have these days now is a disclosure regime that has been turned entirely on its head. The purpose of disclosure is to give the citizens the right to see what their politicians are up to. But if you've been following anything like the Hillary Clinton email server scandal, you know that that doesn't really work. Politicians have all kinds of ways of hiding information from the public. Instead, the disclosure regime has been turned against citizens, and it's a way for the politically powerful and for the government itself to keep track of who's giving money and then to go out and exact punitive measures on those people for their political beliefs. 
the uh, Christian Coalition had a run-in with Lois Lerner, isn't that right? Yeah, we know that Lois Lerner had a long history of partisan activities, and all the way back when she was at the Federal Election Commission, which was her job prior to moving to the IRS, uh, she harassed the Christian Coalition uh, in many different forms and fashions, and we have all the documentation on that, and, and it's in the book as well, too. She's had a long history of this, and I think part of it is ideology and partisanship, uh, we know from her emails that she was very much on the side of politics as this president and elected Democrats. I think part of it just a uh, a very strange, almost messianic uh, belief that money is always bad in politics and that it was somehow her duty to get rid of it. Well, one of the interesting sp- statistics in your uh, book was that uh, we spend about $7 billion on a national election, but we also spend about $7 billion on Halloween. So perhaps that's not so much money. It isn't. I'd like to think that we are willing to spend at least as much organizing one of the greatest democracies of the world and putting our candidates through a process by which we try to get the best people representing us in Congress and in other areas of government, as we would on milk duds and supergirl costumes <laughs> every year. Um, and, you know, I mean, money, I think this is another part of the book, is just the argument that money is speech. If you, Whit Brisky, told me you wanted to go out and run for president, and I said, that's great, but you could only have $50 to do it, I think we could both agree that it would be difficult for you to get your message out to more than 300 million Americans. And once you accept that, then you realize that money is a proxy for speech. And so the more money you have, arguably the more speech, and the more restrictions on money you have, the less speech. So I'm one of those who think that more money is generally good. Now, we do have to make sure that we have some accounting for where it goes, but um, it's a good thing. The other thing worth keeping in mind is the left loves to talk about dark money. Um, what they call dark money, I like to call protected money. It's a special category of, of individuals who we protect so that they will not be harassed and intimidated. Uh, they are due under Supreme Court precedent and law a certain amount of anonymity in their political speech. Um, and, you know, by the way, as a, uh, that, that supposed dark money or protected money only equals about 3% of that $7 billion that we talk about in spending every election cycle. And that dark money, by the way, the protection for this, that the Supreme Court has given was in the case of people donating to civil rights causes during the, the 60s, right? Yes. And this is one of the ironies of what the left does today, is that they were among the forefront of those in the civil rights era to, to try to stand up and, and protect the rights of individuals, in particular African Americans, to, for instance, associate within the NAACP and not have to give out lists of their names to people who intended them harm. I mean, this was the, the Supreme Court case, NAACP versus Alabama, was all about a, uh, an attorney general in Alabama who wanted a list of NAACP members, and we have no doubt as to why he did, to cause them financial or even some other harm if he had them by releasing them. So NAACP fought very hard, and many on the left did, to, to establish a right for people not only to, to freely associate, not only to freely engage in free speech, but to do so with some measure of anonymity. Thanks, Kimberly. Coming up, we will talk about other ways in which free speech, including the free speech rights of Christians, is being restricted and what you can do to resist them. I'm Whit Brisky of Malkin Baker, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, partner of the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal on her new book, The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. In the last segment, we talked about how the left tries to cut off money going to conservative speech, but there are other ways in which the left tries to silence dissenting voices. Malkin Baker has been involved in fighting to preserve free speech on public university campuses here in Illinois. We recently sued and forced a local community college, which had prevented our clients from handing out leaflets on campus because the college did not like their message. Many public colleges try to restrict speech by prohibiting so-called hate speech, which frequently is so broadly defined as to prohibit virtually any speech the college administration does not like. Kimberly, what are some other ways in which the left tries to prevent conservatives from being heard? So we have a a number of different tactics. We talked about the IRS one, which was, in essence, the left uh, utilizing and weaponizing the federal bureaucracy against its enemies. We have one of the more frightening cases that's detailed in the book is what happened up in Wisconsin, where you have liberal prosecutors in that case who uh, launched a secret probe against 30 different conservative organizations that had supported Governor Scott Walker's government reforms. A secret Uh, probe, Kimberly? It was a secret probe. They had a law up in Wisconsin called the John Doe Law, which allowed them to conduct this probe in, in, in secret. Uh, they did staged, uh, they, they took everyone's financial records, their bank records, they searched through all of their emails, um, they uh, subpoenaed them, but they also uh, conducted pre-dawn raids on people's homes to send the message about what would happen if you were on the wrong side of politics. One of the scariest stories in the book involved a raid on an individual's home. He and his wife happened to be out on a charitable fundraising mission for orphans, as it happens. Their teenage son was home alone. Uh, The police stormed in in the dark of the morning, uh, sequestered him in a room, would not allow him to call an attorney, would not allow him to call his grandparents who lived down the road, um, hauled off things from the house, and as they left, informed him that he was under this gag order as well and that if he told anyone what had happened to him that morning, he could go to jail. So these are the kind of tactics that they use at a certain level. That probe, by the way, ultimately did get exposed, and it took the state Supreme Court to shut it down. Um, So we see that tactic. Um, We see activist groups on the left who stage uh, boycotts and protests against companies who engage in free speech um, or go after free market groups uh, like the American Legislative Exchange Council. They're a free market group that tries to promote model legislation at the state level. Um, they, their donors, corporations who donated them, were all subject to a sustained attack and coordinated attack by left-wing groups that uh, resulted in them losing close to half of their donors in just a few months. So those are some of the other tactics. We also see them against individuals. Well, and every time the government goes after somebody, uh, it costs money for that person who's being attacked. Isn't that right? Yes, and that is part of the idea. You know, when you talk to Eric O'Keefe was one of the kind of heroes of my book. He was one of these Wisconsin people who had been uh, attacked and investigated by liberal prosecutors. He was the one who very bravely, in the end, blew the whistle on this secret investigation and went to the press with what was happening to them. But he makes the point in the book that a huge aspect of what they were doing here was not just to, to persecute and harass and scare, 
but to force all of these groups to spend their money on legal costs so that they couldn't then spend that money on their political pursuits, um, and also just to eat up all of their time so that they could not be engaged in political pursuits. So there's various ways when you, when you have government train their forces on their opponents that they can essentially wipe them out of the political sphere. And that's the, that's the point, isn't it? Yes, it's entirely the point. They don't want these people speaking. And, and I firmly believe, with that this is what happens when you can't win an argument. Um, you know, the, the left uh, has enforced and, and passed a lot of policies in recent years uh, that are not very popular with the public. They've not been able to sell them to the public. And so they've instead taken to going after anybody who opposes them and attempting to, to push them out of the political arena. Well, many of the people you talk about in your book are lawyers. How can a good lawyer familiar with representing not-for-profits or working to protect free speech help uh, to navigate this jungle? Well, I think the first thing is to simply just know what's going on, and that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, is so that people could be aware that these things are not random. What you see out there are the same tactics by the same groups of senators, the same groups of activist groups, these same groups of prosecutors, they're working with each other, they uh, give each other tips, they've refined and honed what they're doing. So to know when you end up with a group that they are, in fact, the object of one of these attacks is the first way of, of having an understanding of how to respond. But the second is to stand up. One of the inspiring things that came out of this book and all the people that I profiled in it is that those who ended up pushing back, speaking out, noting that they were being the targets of harassment, they often caused the bullies to back down. Uh, we've had a recent example of this. We've had these liberal prosecutors who've been out attacking Exxon and other uh, free market groups for the supposed crime of not thinking the right way on climate uh, change. Uh, one of the think tanks, the Competitive Enterprise Institute in Washington, it immediately took out a full-page ad in the New York Times uh, calling out the prosecutors for harassing them on the First Amendment. And then it filed an anti-slap lawsuit in Washington, D.C., and it caused, as a result, uh, one of these uh, prosecutors, the Attorney General from the Virgin Islands, to immediately withdraw his subpoena of CEI because he knew he didn't have a leg to stand on in court. So there are ways to, to be aggressive on the way back. Uh, we don't want to intimidate or harass the other side, but we do want to stand up for our constitutional rights. Thanks. Uh, you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky of the law firm of Malkin Baker. We're speaking with author and columnist Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. Kimberly, can you tell us the story of how the left tried to sabotage Proposition 8 in California? First, tell yeah, our listeners what Proposition 8 was. Yeah, well, P Proposition 8 was a ballot measure uh, in favor of protecting traditional marriage out in California. Uh, obviously and understandably, many Americans uh, out in California, Californians, both for cultural and religious reasons, gave money in support of that ballot measure. The opposition, and, and this goes to the dangers of disclosure, they trolled through all of the financial disclosure records to get a list of everyone who had donated in favor of traditional marriage. They then put those people's names and addresses on a searchable, walkable map so that activists could go home to home and target their political opponents. Uh, the people whose names ended up on that list had their cars keyed and their windows broken. They had 
threatening messages left on their voicemails and on their sent over their emails. Uh, some of them who were small business owners had flash mob protesters show up outside of their place of business uh, and scare their customers away. Some of these people even lost their jobs, the most famous one being uh, Brendan Eich of, of Mozilla. But there were many, many more besides uh, who suffered all types of financial and personal uh, uh, ramifications from this. Uh, and, uh, because of expressing their beliefs. So these are the dangers of disclosure, and, and clearly, clearly, you know, these tactics are also being employed against people simply expressing their religious views. Well, in one incident uh, a couple of years ago, I don't think this was in your book, but the, the mayor of Houston subpoenaed the sermons of pastors around the city of Houston who objected to their gay rights ordinance that they were pushing through. And uh, even though this was clearly illegal, the pastors sent him uh, uh, copies of the sermons uh, along with the notes saying, we hope you actually read these. Uh, (laughs) Well, that's a very good response. (laughs) But when we see this creeping into churches, you know, my interest in this was the First Amendment, and and, and I don't really care which side violates it, I'm, I'm willing to call them out and one of the instances I, I saw uh, write about in the book and uh, was a, a, a transaction that happened in the Bush administration. Now, it was the only one I found, and it nowhere in any way comes even remotely close to what the Obama IRS did. So back in 2004, the Bush IRS did go after for a while a liberal church out in California whose pastor had spoken glowingly on the eve of the election about John Kerry and given his views on, on war. Um, you know, and again, my, my, now there was a huge blowback when this came out, and rightly so, and the IRS immediately backed off. But, uh, you know, the risk, it shows the risk that's present out there, uh, that federal bureaucracies have against churches and pastors and anyone in the religious realm to, to try to, uh, make them go silent on their religious beliefs. Well, and, and I'll tell you, uh, we are for religious freedom, and that means religious freedom to believe or not believe. We're for free speech, and that's to to speak or not to speak. And uh, I just want to add one thing. uh, A lot of these cases, the Supreme Court cases, were 5-4 decisions uh, protecting free speech. So this is really very precarious, and if we get uh, a different majority on the Supreme Court, it could be a real issue. No, I mean, as as we speak, Hillary Clinton just in the last few weeks has has openly called for someone to file a challenge to Citizens United. Uh, yeah. in the expectation Kimberly, that- thank you. I think we're just about out of time. Uh, as I said, we got lots of material, but uh, maybe I'll have you again. We appreciate, we appreciate Kimberly Strassel for coming on today. I think her book should be required reading for anyone interested in preserving our free speech rights, particularly in this election year. I had a great time reading it, even if it did make me a little bit angry. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243, again at 312-726-1243, or at MalkinBaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Malkin Baker is a Christian law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. Somebody, yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.